Hello, you're listening to Yarns from the Plain, a podcast for knitters, crocheters, and anyone who loves to play with yarn. Hello, and welcome to episode 16. I'm sorry I haven't podcasted for, oh, about, I think I'm about two weeks late, aren't I? Terribly sorry about that. It's all been a bit manic. The children have come back to school, so obviously my workload's shot up through the roof two weeks ago as well, and I could have done this on the side. I'm afraid to say I escaped to Nutsford to do an amazing once-every-ten-year event uh, of a a very completely bonkers penny-farthing race, which was wonderful, Uh, only in Britain, really, I think, you know get on a penny farthing and then ride for three hours around the park and see how many laps you do. Um, And then last week um, I shot down to see my mum and dad and to knit to the eye knit weekender for the day. So um, that weekend went out as well. Um, So sorry about that. I hope you're all well. Um, I'm fine. Obviously school's kind of come and hit me squarely between the eyes but uh, that's just me I think and I'm beginning to think that I maybe haven't quite got the energy I had 10 years ago, Um, but there's a surprise. Thanks for the feedback for the last episode, which was about the Monday to Friday of the UK Knit Camp um, up in Stirling. I'm going to wrap it up this week with um, the weekend element. Um, But I realised after that I'd finished recording and posted the episode that I hadn't actually sort of given a blow-by-blow account of the swag that I picked up on the Friday. which is, well, I think I've, I picked up one thing on the Saturday, possibly, but um, it, I'd mentioned Freilin's fibres, I think, but nothing else. So, um, at the expense of sounding like I, um, relishing in how much fibre I bought, which, which I am. I mean, let's be honest here, it's a damn good job there's somebody along the road that keeps leaving lettuces and potatoes and marrows on my doorstep, otherwise I wouldn't be able to eat um, the amount of stuff I've spent on fibre in the last couple of months. But uh, I bought lots and lots and lots of lovely fibre from Freilin's Fibres. Um, uh, as I said, she did tell me to step away from the stall at one point. I also bought um, a bag of Rainbow Merino um, fibres from Easy Knits, which is fabulous colours couple of selection packs of um, Shetland comb tops in five natural shades so I'm kind of thinking you know I've kind of got this vision of a fair isle Shetland hat with uh, all the different shades on that that just looks really really nice um, I also bought some undyed fibre from DT Crafts because um, I thought I might play around with trying to dye fibre I've not tried any of that before um, that's Falklands uh, Falkland I think uh, in terms of yarn, um, I bought a green superwash merino from Abstract Cat. Do you remember I bought two that had lots of purple and green? Uh, one of them went into the yarn swap. Well, this was a, a kind of a lovely apple green. Um, it's actually called Glowworm. Um, and yeah, I can see that it does glow. So that's very nice. It's quite loosely spun, the um, merino from Abstract Cat. It's quite interesting. It doesn't look like other um superwash merino that i've bought from other vendors in the past it's got quite a tight twist it's got quite a loose twist i also got a lovely heathery pink 100 wool aran weight yarn um, and now i can't remember the life of me what the wool is um but i do know it's 100 percent 
um, and I picked it up from a lovely lady called Linda who had a little stall. Um, she comes from Rhode Island and she had sat on the same table as me on Friday at the Cayley and uh, I didn't realise she was a vendor and I looked at it and it's lovely, lovely colours and I have to say my mother-in-law's fallen in love with it so it comes with a label with a no-brainer scarf pattern on the back and I'm quite tempted to actually make the scarf and give it to my mother-in-law because it's lovely, lovely colours um, and it's kind of more her colours than mine, I think and she was um, so delighted by the colours that I thought, oh, I might have to do that the other two yarns that I came home with I didn't actually pick up in the marketplace um, a lovely lady called Cindy was on the um, Mary Jane Mucklestone photography course with me and she um, had bought two of her yarns because she has an Etsy shop um, and she was hoping to sort of get some tips on how to photograph her fibre better for her Etsy shop. Well she didn't particularly want to take them home again having bought them with her and I fell in love with one. Um, which is called Mono, which is all blues and greens, and it's just gorgeous. And um, she very kindly let me have both of them for the price of one, because she just really didn't want to put them back in her suitcase. Um, so the other one's Sonora, which is gorgeous sort of warm rust reds, oranges. They're very nicely dyed, and they're superwash merino, but they've got that tight, tight twist that I associate with um, merino sock yarn. Um, anyway, she's called Left Coast Yarns, and Linda's... Um, shop is well Linda's yarn is called Thistledown Yarns although her Etsy shop I think is, is just under her name of um, LMM Perry but what I'll do is I will put links for all of those vendors in the um, show notes because just you know if, if these two examples of what Cindy um, dyes at Left Coast Yarns then you know she's got really nice colour sense um, with those semi-solids so that was all the, the Friday. Now on Saturday, I apart from buying, I think the I, I bought the yarn from Linda on Saturday, um, but I didn't really spend anything else. But I, I just I didn't attend any workshops either, and part of me felt oh you know I could have done, but the other part of me was actually so whacked out that it, I just hung around the marketplace, um, and hung out um, at the back to back sweater, um, which I've got some um, audio from. The back to back sweater was an, a world record attempt at spinning a fleece into yarn and making it into a sweater um the current record i think is around about four hours 55 i'm not entirely sure maybe the british record is five hours and five um that was taking place in the courtyard outside the marketplace and it was really really interesting to watch um so I, i've got a sort of a lot of audio from that and it that's another reason why it's taken me so long to get this together actually because it, it I did have hours of audio from that, but most of it's an awful lot of background chatter and spinning noise, so you kind of had to wade through it, really. Um, so I just turned the recorder on and left it, which sounded like a really good idea at the time, but then afterwards um, just took quite a lot of effort. There were one or two things, though, that struck me. Um, I mentioned the organisation problems uh, with Nick Kemp last episode. There were still people I heard, I actually overheard people, who had arrived at Stirling on Saturday to do the Saturday morning workshop with Laurelie Bellman, who Bellman, who was the tutor who had ended up going home, um, having been refused entry to the UK. So the organisation had not contacted um, this lady to say that the workshop wasn't happening, which uh, part of me was astounded, but unfortunately part of me just kind of rolled my eyes um, at that point and went, mm, 
um, because it seemed to be sort of typical of the organisation. And over the last few weeks, more and more information has come to light regarding um, the organisation and the organisers of Nick Camp, um, which is truly, truly tragic. It's it, it's just um, awful. I'm not going to say a great deal about it. I obviously, I'm not, I'm one of the lucky ones. I pretty much got what I paid for, although my workshops had changed, I did get workshops. There are other people who are still waiting for refunds now, and it's gone the 30-day deadline of um, the end of Nick Camp for anything to be sorted out. What is worse is that there are a great number of tutors who have not been paid, and most of them are abiding by um, the clause in their contract that forbids them from talking about it. But Lucy Neatby has posted on her blog her Nick Camp experience that has been causing her sleepless nights. And do you remember I, I talked about the um, lady who was doing the questions at the pub quiz who was terribly over-enthusiastic um, and, you know, now having been away from it for a long time, I can laugh at it, but at the time it was driving us all slightly bonkers. Um, she put a blog post up yesterday about her experience in terms of trying to help with the organisation because she wasn't one of the organisers but she'd volunteered to help and ended up having to field a lot of angry, upset, worried and frightened people with no information. Um, so I'm wondering how much of her over-exuberance on Tuesday was actually down to the fact that she was here to be living off caffeine and not much more uh, caffeine and nerves. So it I'm actually going to put links to both of those blog posts in the show notes, so if you do wish to read um, other people's experience who have come out of it possibly worse than I have, well, in Lucy's case, definitely worse than I have since she hasn't been paid, um, then do so. I don't like... Um, I, I, I'm in... Um, I think I'm possibly what a lot of people would call naive. I always try and see the best in a situation and I always try and see the best in a person, um, which sometimes ends up with me being bitterly disappointed. But I would much rather do that than go around the world with a very cynical eye. I've worked with very cynical people and I find that gets me down. However, I can't give you this episode of the podcast and wrap up the Nick Camp with a total Pollyanna concept of everything being fine because for some people it is not fine and it, it it's just it's wrong it's absolutely wrong that these people were contracted to come and teach and have not been paid and the professionalism with which they conducted themselves during the week when they were already concerned that there would be problems in terms of payment. Um, their professionalism is, well, it's just wonderful. It, it's what professionalism, it, it personifies what professionalism should be. So I will put those links up to both Lucy's blog and to, um, I think her name is Sarah Jane, I can't remember now. Um, but her blog post, which I read this morning um, before I started to record this. Anyway, back now I've lowered the, the mood somewhat. Sorry about that. Um, let's go back now to actually the Sheep to Sweater Challenge, which was actually a really, really interesting thing to watch. 
Um, I know very little about the rules and conditions of it, apart from the fact that I know that you cannot wash the fleece, you cannot card the fleece, the fleece must be spun into singles and then plied into a two-ply of a DK weight, and the needle size is specified for the ribbing and the body parts of both sleeve and front and back, and that it's then specified how much you seam up to it. The, it's a very simple shaped sweater, it's simply a rectangle front and back and then um, two trapeziums, if you like, starting narrow end of the cuff and then widening out so that you end up seaming it, so you've got a dropped shoulder boat necked sweater. And it, just watching this was just quite stunning. The the back-to-back -back challenge is supposed to actually start with the fleece being sheared from the sheep, but unfortunately, as um, you'll actually hear, um, it was too late in the season um, for anything other than a black-faced sheep. Now, I know from the information I got from Tame Show, a black shape, uh, black shape feast, a black-faced sheep, I can't speak this morning, a black-faced sheep is not something that you're going to want to spin and knit the fleece from that, because it is really more suitable for carpets. So they, they took a two-minute time penalty for um, having a a pre-sheared fleece but it hadn't been washed and it hadn't been carded and it was literally handed to them intact. Um, the team was made up from um, Anne Kingstone, um, the designer that I spoke to in the last episode, and Freylin from Freylin's Fibres. Um, now Anne had been talking to me all week saying she was hoping that to be able to persuade Freylin to be in the team and it was very much a scratch team um, apart from a bit of discussion of tactics and a wee bit of practice spinning and knitting on the Friday night, they hadn't had any any time really to get together um, to do this. Also um, within the team was Susan, um, a spinner from Shetland, Shetland Islands, and Sandra, who worked on the Jameson and Smith stall. So she's actually employed by Jameson and Smith, and she's a, a traditional Shetland knitter, and she knits using a Shetland knitting belt, um, which is a sort of a pad on a, a belt that goes around and the pad's got several holes in it so that you can put the end of your needle in the hole so that it balances there and leaves one hand free um, to actually you manipulate the yarn around the needle. You don't have to worry about anchoring or holding your needle because it's anchored there in your belt. So that was really interesting watching her knit with that. The other members of the team were um, Miriam Teagles, who is the current holder of the Guinness World Record for the world's fastest knitter. She's from the Netherlands. Um, Angela, who I don't know her, her second name, but Angela, who is um, Germany's fastest knitter, and her friend Astrid, um, who started off spinning and then moved on to knitting um, throughout the, the challenge. Um, Anne and Freilin were spinning um, and plying throughout the challenge. Um, it was just really fascinating to watch, um, especially since that I, I don't know that many of them were actually spinning on their own wheels. Um, possibly Astrid was, and possibly Susan was, but certainly Freyling wasn't, and um, Anne Kingston wasn't, and Anne was trying on a lovely timber tops from Woodlands Turnery, and it was just a beautiful machine, but it was Scotch. Uh, it was a double drive. Um, see, I'm so useless at spinning. I don't know whether that's Scotch tension or not, but. Um, it was proving very um, twiddly to change 
bobbins because of them being actually wrapped around the bobbin you know and obviously it's quite quick to change a bobbin on my ashford traditional and watching um and try to do that was you know it was obviously taking up some valuable time um so at various points in the challenge she did sort of end up swapped and used a number of different wheels um there were some kromsky wheels there as well um but it was just really really fascinating so i've got some bits of audio um it started off before the challenge whilst everyone was setting up their wheel and actually just making sure that their wheel was spinning and playing nicely and they were practicing on bits of random fluff especially those people who were using wheels that they weren't familiar with and the provost of sterling came and um had a little look because the provost was actually providing the fleece turns out the provost was also the caller in the Cayley band oh and um i did i was accosted very early saturday morning by a lovely lady who waved my sandal at me going it's the shoe lady so yes i did i was in fact reunited with my sandal um but anyway the first little clip is from sort of 15 20 minutes before the challenge started the provost is chatting to Fraylin and Anne and then spots me in the crowd behind them. <laughs> now you see Anne has been saying that she was hoping you'd be in the team. <laughs> oh, we. So I've gathered. You were at the dance last night. I was. In a green dress. Yes. <laughs> Obviously you made an amazing impression. You made an impact on the band I had. Oh God. Oh God! Did I flash my knickers? Oh! That's always a worry when I make an impact on the band. All right, it's happened before, has it? Not for a long time. It's not so bad if it's a four-piece band. It's a thirty-two-piece orchestra. Don't worry. Shortly afterwards, the provost Fergus Wood introduced the challenge and gave a little background to the actual competition, the back-to-back -back competition. Um, I've included a fairly long piece of audio here um, of his introduction. I'm afraid it does include cheesy jokes and a reference to the problem with the visas of the American tutors. Um, it actually it sounds a little strange because this is the Saturday and he's welcoming everyone to the conference and sort of formally opening it but if you remember the original advert for the camp was that the knit camp would take place from Monday to Friday and the UK Ravelry weekend would take place Friday and Saturday. Um, it, it transpired once we were there unbeknownst to me um, because I'd missed the announcement on one of the big six Ravelry boards uh, was that it was not a Ravelry weekend because Jess and Casey had not um, come to an agreement over contracts with the organiser um, but at no point on the boards for the event did I notice this um, I can't say that it wasn't there because I, I wasn't reading the boards particularly intently at that point um, so I'm guessing that's why he was opening the conference at the close if that makes sense because it was due to be a, a separate but joined event um, anyway there are cheesy jokes, there is a cheesy joke alert, so I'm terribly sorry, but it does contain some very interesting information as well. Um, so I'm going to let it run in its entirety. Um, so over to the Provost of Stirling. We welcome you to Stirling as Provost of Stirling. Provost is the Mayor, yeah? 
unlike our counterparts down in England and Ireland, the, the mayor has promised, or the province is there for the life of the council, so it's, I'm here for the duration until 2012. I'm also a farmer because Stirling Council is a unitary council, so we cover the city of Stirling and the rural area. And I sh I'm a sheep farmer out in the western area, farming Shetland ewes. I've had a close connection with the Shetland Islands for a long time. And uh, I don't know if you believe this, but we actually invented this competition when we used to own the Scottish Wool Centre in Aberfoyle. And the very first back-to-back -back competition was held there when a sheep was shorn, hand-shorn by a shearer, and then the, the competition started. And that's how we set down the track. And over the years, um, the competition grew, and the prize, which was the silver shears, uh, travelled all over the world. Now, I don't know where the silver shears, maybe somebody can tell me where they are now. They could West be Australia. Australia. West Australia. West Australia. They're West Australia. Well, your job is to get them back here. Can I apologise? Had you had this conference a month earlier, I could have brought the sheep and sheared it for you. But unfortunately, all my sheep are shorn uh, and have been for the last two or three weeks. So um, it's difficult to find sheep with wool on them. Uh, and the only alternative would have been a blackface. And I don't think you'd be wanting to spend no. blackface. <laughs> so we didn't bring a blackface sheep. My cousin, uh, Josephine, was uh, a very serious spinner. Um, she entered a convent, um, a religious order, and um, then she was told that she could, apart from praying, because it was a very special order, she was allowed to spin, and she spun, that was her main hobby in the convent was spinning. It was a, a convent with an order of silence, you weren't allowed to speak. Uh, and after five years, um, my cousin was called to the Mother Superior's office and the Mother Superior said, Sister Josephine, you've been with us now for, for, for five years and you've not said a word. Um, our rules allow you now to speak and you've got two words. What do you want to say? She said, bed hard. <laughs> and the Mother Superior said, you mean to tell me you have been lying on a hard bed for five years and we didn't know about it? That is bad man management on our part. I can tell you now you're going to get a new mattress, you'll be comfy cosy from now on. I do apologise. That was bad of us. We should have noticed your problem. Five years down the track, she was called back in uh, again to the Mother Superior's office. And the Mother Superior said to her, she said, Sister Josephine, you've been here for ten years now and you haven't smoked the last five. Now's your chance to speak. You've got two words. What do you want to say? She said, food cold. <laughs> and the Mother Superior said, are you telling me you've been eating cold food for the last ten years? And we didn't know about it. I'm going to see cook right away. From now on, your meals will be piping hot. Yeah? Another five years down the track, and she was called to Mother Superior's office. She said, Sister Josephine, you've been here for 15 years now, and you didn't speak for the last five years, other than praying and knitting, that's all you've done. Uh, she said, uh, you've got two words to say. What would you like to say? She said, I quit. <laughs> and as she walked out the door, the Mother Superior turned to her assistant. She said, Thank God she's leaving. She's done nothing but complain. <laughs> now, I know you're not going to complain <laughs> in this competition, but you've got a long road ahead of you. Yes? Um, and it's going to be hard. I, I, I trust you've, you've mapped out where everything is, like food, drink, and lose. So you know you know where to go. And these are important things I can tell you in this competition. Oh, station um, guides. And so station guides. Oh, this, this is what we are facing. These That's, four pieces. These yes. are the test pieces. So okay. this is what we are facing today. All right. But since we are four niggers and good spinners, we should manage within five. I think you will. Come on then. Where's the club? You're not allowed to start for another ten, uh, nine minutes. Nine minutes. So, uh, welcome to the conference. Um, I want apologies. I want apologies for all those of you who weren't at the dance last night. It was, it was my band that was. She was there. She was there. Yeah, yeah. It was.
the band that was playing. But nevertheless, I hope you're having a good conference. I'm glad the little problems were sorted out, particularly for the Americans. I mean, bloody hell. The border agency is to stop terrorists getting into the country and illegal immigrants. And I don't think uh, our knitters from America qualify for either of those. <laughs> Hopefully. Uh, it's been great going around and seeing folk, because I, I was actually formerly a director of the Scottish Woolen Industry, and for those of you who know Scotland, and particularly the borders, of course, uh, I was at, there at the, the heyday of the great woolen mills, which are now sadly all gone. For example, go down to Selkirk. Heather Mills is no longer there. Gardeners of Selkirk is gone. Mokaran has moved to Selkirk. All those lovely companies producing quality products sadly have, have passed away. And uh, I've got 12 spinning wheels at my house. My daughter's a very serious spinner. She brought back a beautiful um, wheel from Finland. I think it's made in pine. Colored blue, beautiful color of blue. Uh, so we've got quite a few spinning wheels. But the spinning wheel that's always fascinating me most is the traveler. Because if you think about it in Shetland in the old days, and any Shetlander will tell you, that's how people, ladies socialized. They went to each other's houses carrying their wheels with their sandwiches or whatever it was, and they sat around the table and gossiped about the men and had afternoon tea continuously and spun. So it's nice to see a few travelers about, and I'm hoping that that company who have put this wheel in, and well done them, making wheels, I hope that company goes from strength to strength, but we'll maybe start producing a few travelers, because I think the travel is an excellent, an excellent social wheel. It's easy to transport, easy to take to somebody's house uh, and, and, and congregate. I'm not going to say much more, um, I'll be around for a wee while. Uh, I hope you have a very successful exercise. Uh, it'll be interesting to see how you go. Uh, we've had teams from all over the world. I'm, I'm thinking particularly of the team from Hokkaido uh, in Japan that has competed for this award. Um, and of course in Hokkaido there's not a lot of sheep to go. There's 14,000 sheep and they all live in Hokkaido. And that's where they get the wool from. I don't know what kind of sheep they are. I would think they're fairly hairy jobs up, up in the northern part of Japan. But it's a competition. <laughs> yeah, that's gone yeah, all around the world. Taping this. So, so nobody can walk between the team and the camera. Yeah. If you want to talk to us, go, go so, talk to us over our shoulders, yeah. please. Yeah. So there's the rules. Got to be keep this area clear. This area clean yeah. for the camera. I hope you're happy with the fleece. Um, it's a cat mugget fleece, which is oh. cat mugget Shetland fleece. Um, the sheep is a bit like a badger face sheep. So it's, you'll see this colour in the wool. Um, and the cat mug is a very attractive uh, breed of sheep. But I've always been fascinated by the Shetland sheep and their lovely natural colours. Of which, does anybody know how many natural shades and colours of Shetland wool there are? Yeah, there's 19. <laughs> and Elizabeth, who I met up the top there, um, she made us up a board and it looks like a clock face. And it goes from white to black and it goes in two directions. It grows the grey root and it goes the brown root and ends up as black. And there you see all these lovely natural colours of, of Shetland wool. Provost continued for um, quite a long while afterwards, actually just chatting on with members of the team and um, talking about the challenge in general and their skills in particular. He seemed a very skilled man. He was able to converse in uh, Dutch with Miriam and in German with Angela and Astrid. But it soon became time for the challenge to start.
So the challenge had just started and Anne's immediately got a set of fleece going in her timber tops. This goes against the grain so much, it's rubby! <laughs> <laughs> you are complaining after 30 seconds. Yes. <laughs> Fraylin doesn't do grubby. No, I don't do grubby. Neither do I. Any complaints about the wool will be directed to the sheep directly. I've got to During the first 10 minutes of the challenge, the knitters obviously didn't have anything to knit, but they were busy separating out the fleece as best they could, taking handfuls of it and pulling it apart to try and make it easier for the spinners to draft. The reference that Freyland's made there is, is that she, earlier, was that she does like to work with fleece that has been washed. She doesn't mind working from um, fleece that hasn't necessarily been carded, but she does like it to be washed. Uh, and of course, this hadn't been. So she um, was uh, laughing a lot about that. It wasn't long before the spinners had enough to begin plying. This last piece of audio just lasts for about three minutes, but it covers the period from the first bit of plying through to actually casting on. So we, the first ply has been done, and it's what? It's not even 10 minutes, is it? In that first lot of flying. Astrid and Susan, could you get your bobbins off and ready for me to ply? And I will get my needles ready. Yeah, I don't know. I don't think that's been. Yeah, it's pretty good. 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 Yeah
So that's it for all the pieces of audio from the back-to-back -back challenge. Um, I have a lot more, but it is basically background chatter and the sound of people spinning, which isn't necessarily going to be particularly interesting, um, I think, for the rest of you to listen to. I spent quite a bit of time just sitting near them. Um, it was actually really, really interesting just watching people's different styles. Freya um, very much does long draw spinning, so that was really interesting to watch. Um, and then just watching Miriam and Angela knit was just phenomenal because I couldn't actually tell um, at one point whether Angela was doing um, a, a pearl, a, a ribbing row or whether she was actually on the stocking stitch section because her needles moved so fast I couldn't work out what kind of stitch she was doing. Uh, it was absolutely phenomenal and really, really interesting. However, I couldn't stay for the rest of the afternoon. Well, I could have done, but um, I actually wanted to, to just go around and, and have a chat again, and I did have a ticket for the luminary panel. Um, so I went and spent some more time inside in the marketplace, and um, I was privileged enough to look after um, Woolly Wormhead's stand while she went to go and have some lunch. So she's a, an absolute joy to talk to uh, and really good fun. So I felt very privileged to be left with all these lovely, lovely hats um, just to keep an eye on and make sure that they were kept safe. Um, and to, to try and sort of coax people into trying some on and having their photograph taken um, so that Woolly can begin to put together a series of tutorials on different styles and ways to wear hats. Uh, I knit back in the afternoon uh, to keep an eye on how the, the challenge was going. It looked to me as if it was going quite well. Um, although there was a point where, uh, as I said, there was sort of, uh, Anne was struggling a little bit with um, changing bobbins quickly on one of the wheels. Um, so th there were various points where um, different people were plying, um, and then um, uh, when I popped back in later time, uh, four of them were knitting at that point. Astrid and um, Sandra were knitting on sleeves, whilst Miriam and Angela were knitting the front and the back. Um, sadly, um, they didn't. They were deliberately asking for people not to tell them how much time they were doing. So as I got up to leave um, to go and what, attend the luminary panel, um, I knew that they had been unable to break the world record because I knew that they'd gone past it, although they didn't. Um, they actually ended up completing the challenge in a very respectable time of just over six hours, um, and. In terms of the 2010 times for the competition that was held in June, that would have placed them second in the world. So it's no mean feat. Um, inside the show notes, I'm going to include a photograph that um, Woolly Thoughts have very kindly let me use, um, which shows the team and the completed sweater. The completed sweater is being modelled by Steve Plummer of um, Woolly Thoughts, and they were part of the adjudication throughout the event. They 
videoed the entire event um, on a continuous video so to show that there was no point at no point was the team um, given additional help um, and that there was no break in in the the timing um, so they were kind of acting as adjudicators if you like but um, it, it was you know a phenomenal challenge and I'm just so impressed with them um, even though they were unable to break the world record I just think they did really really well the day finished for me with the luminary panel um, which was really interesting it was chaired by Debbie Stoller and she um, had on the luminary panel um, let me see if I can remember in order we had uh, Liz Lovick uh, Deb Bromson Oh, I can't remember now. This is a while ago now, isn't it? Um, Deb Robinson, who was sat next to Deb. Um, oh, Nora Gorn, um, Annie Modisette, uh, Woolly Wormhead, Jared Flood, Brooklyn Tweed, uh, Lucy Neatby, and Nancy Bush. I think that's everybody that was there. And it was just really interesting. She had some questions um, about the reasons why people knit and um, why they knit and what they thought the, the next... Um, phase was going to be in knitting trends and then there were questions taken from the floor um, and that would have been really really interesting to record um, and include but because I actually had been so intent on watching the back-to-back um, -back challenge I'd actually missed the first few minutes of it so um, I hadn't been in a position to actually ask if anyone was um, okay with me doing it so I didn't do it but it was really really interesting and um, great to see Woolly Wormhead taking what I think is her rightful place um, in amongst all those designers and knitting tutors. Um, there's, a, there's a lot of skill at that table and I was really, really impressed with it. The evening um, was supposed to be a party, but I have to say, the, although some guy was trying his hardest um, with um, sort of DJing, uh, not a great deal of us were dancing, I suspect that uh, many other people had found somewhere else um, to... Uh, party perhaps than the student union bar but I also suspect that actually a number of people had begun to make their way home on the Saturday um, so that's why there weren't so many people around uh, but I had a lovely night um, and sat with um, Liz and got slightly tipsy and uh, Tootsie 2121 she and I were swapping tips on how to uh, knit different um, styles and knitting in different using different techniques and we're videoing each other trying to sort of record it but I was like I say I was slightly tipsy um, but so that that was it that's the um, final installment of the UK knit camp um, record from my perspective um, and I, I did have a brilliant time um, and the sad thing is that had I known then beforehand what I know now about um, the organiser and things that had happened in the past I suspect I wouldn't have gone which is a real shame because I did have a really really good time and I met some lovely lovely people so that's it now really I'm going to wrap up here um, just a couple of um, upcoming events to draw your att well, attention to um, next week if you are in the northwest area on um, Tuesday the 21st um, I'm not sure of the timing I think it's at 10 o'clock um, and on Thursday the 23rd at 6 o'clock Susan Crawford's going to be at Fibre and Clay in Nutsford. Um, Susan Crawford is 
Just Call Me Ruby, the designer. She's the lady behind um, the reissue of Vintage Knits and she, uh, Stitch in Time, sorry, with uh, Jane Waller. And she um, is an author of Vintage Knits. And I interviewed her back in March um, as one of the organisers of the Liverpool Make Do and Knit um, function. So I'm really excited to be going along to there. There's no charge, I don't think she says no no charge to to going at all um just a chance to come along and talk to susan and have tea and cake so if you are in the area please try and get there because i'm sure it will be really really interesting um fiber and clay interestingly enough have a number of these events now um these trunk show type events taking place over the next few um, months including um, debbie bliss and the natural dye studio so that's something to really look forward to also, I'd like to remind you that um, notwithstanding the organisational problems that have surrounded um, the knit camp, there are still other people who are prepared to have a go um, and bring people together to enjoy um, knitting, crocheting, spinning. Um, and Fibre Flurry will be taking place on Saturday the 30th of October in Birmingham. I'll put links up for both of those events. Uh, in the show notes. So with that, I'd just like to finish as Lucy Neatby would, which to say that I hope all your stitches are happy ones. Bye. Until next time. You've been listening to Yarns from the Plain. Show notes and links are available at the Yarns from the Plain show page at yarnsfromtheplain.podbean.com. If you'd like to contact the show, you can leave a comment over there on the show page, or you can email me at yarnsfromtheplane at googlemail.com, or message me on Ravelry, where I'm Tales from the Plane. Until next time, take care, and thanks for listening. <laughs>